listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. All right, folks, welcome back to Making Data Simple. Al here. I just jumped off a plane from Toronto, uh, where I have the best database team in the world. Uh, so I'm going to jump right in, and we're going to finish the year with Seth Drogram. I think the title of this session is Data and Tech in 2018, A Year in Review with Seth Dobrin. Seth has the distinctive honor of being the last podcast of the year. We're um, right before the holidays. This will probably air afterwards, uh, but, and, we'll, and we may have one next week. But, Seth, how are you, buddy? How you been? I'm, I'm doing well, Al. I'm glad to be back. Sorry we're not in person together, but... Uh... I'm not cool enough to get you face to face. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're everywhere. I don't know where I'd catch up with you. So That's you've true. entered into the two timers club. You know this, right? So you feel any different? Because this is the second time you've been on the podcast. It is the second time. Am I the only one that's in the two-timer club, or am I? is it like the Saturday Night Live thing where, you know, there's a bunch of us in <laughs> a jacket? Well, you know what? If, if, if we go to three times, I think there's a hat and a jacket that come with it. But for right now, uh, you and I think Daniel Hernandez. I'd have right, to ask like the producers if anybody else. I can't let him beat me, so i got to get back on right after the new year, too, because I'm much better than Daniel, so I can't let him beat me. I hear you. I hear you. Now, hopefully you've been listening to the podcast because I do make fun of you from time to time. I want to make sure you're, you, you filled that. I, I do. I do listen and I do occasionally I'll, I'll see you on Slack <laughs> and harass you back, but I haven't done that recently. But I do listen uh, pretty religiously when I'm sitting on planes. Fantastic. That's the right answer. So, Seth, for you folks that I'm sure I'm sure you've heard his, his previous podcast, and if you haven't, you go. You need to go back. I think it was in January of this year. He is the VP and CDO, the Chief Data Officer of IBM Analytics. And uh, yeah, look, before I begin, I got I got a ton of questions for you, as you might imagine. So, what any holiday plans? Any 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 things that the Dobrin clan does over the holidays that are, are distinctive? So usually we go to the beach. Um, but this year we're going to stay home through the new year, through January or through December 31st, and then we're going to go on uh, vacation to Phoenix for a week early in January because now both of my kids are out of high school, so we don't have to worry about doing it uh, between the Christmas and New Year break when everyone else is traveling. So the new Dobrin clan thing is not to travel when everyone else is traveling. <laughs> That's probably smart. Where do you usually go on the beach? I mean, you head to Florida? Do you go to Texas? What? Uh, so we went to, went to Hawaii a bunch of times. Uh, we want to go to oh. the Caribbean, but we're not doing that. We've gone to Mexico. Kind of, uh, my idea of vacation is sitting on the beach with a cocktail in my hand doing absolutely nothing. And so anywhere where I can do that. Yeah, you've got my wife's same mantra there. And yeah. when you say beach, you mean trip. You're taking a major trip and having some fun over the holidays. Yeah. So this year it's Phoenix. Well, Phoenix should be warm. This, yeah, it should be warm. It's not a beach, but it's still warm. Yeah, very good. All right, well, good. Glad to have you back. Let's let's jump right in. And, and again, welcome back. I've got a softball for you just to get this thing the, the rolling. Uh, you've been doing this a year. Uh, let's just start with the definition of data science in Seth Dobrin's mind, uh, Mr. PhD. Uh, and then, then I'll go into more of the hard-hitting questions. Yeah, so definition of data science. So definition of data science. So data science in my mind is really about applying the scientific method to solve real world business problems. Um, so that's the, the elevator pitch version of it. But in, in reality, um, you know, you need to be careful when you're doing data science or executing data science in the enterprise because my my initial definition of it implies a lot of experimentation and experimentation is is good. 
Um, but the experimentation needs to be done in a very intentional way if, if you're in a company. So there needs to be a strategy. Um, there, there needs to be um, some way to measure success. Um, and, and in fact, I've, I've written a blog and I give, I give a, a, a talk called, uh, well, marketing doesn't like the title of the talk I use, but it's called Data Science is a Scam, or the marketing version is Don't Let Data Science Become a Scam. Uh, and it talks about how do you how do you build a strategy? What are common mistakes that companies make? Um, and this is this is based on my personal experiences before I joined IBM, as well as things I've seen from from talking with clients as I've flown around the world multiple times the last two years. So I've got some questions specific to that. I'm going to hold those for a little bit later. I have read your blog, and I got to give you some trouble because I've heard you on other podcasts. You know you're supposed to stick to this podcast only. Right? I've got the rights to Seth Dobrin. At least I thought I did. Well, you know, you don't pay me enough, number one. Number oh. two, you only have me on once a year. So, you know, if you want to you wanna monopolize me, you have to have me on more than once a year. All right. Three-timers club is coming up in January. That's, that's, we're, we'll have to set that up. Um, so I, I hear what you're – the data science is a scam, but I've got some questions on that later. So, so back to – applying the scientific method to solving real business problems. Essentially, I presume that that takes math and statistics, it takes computer science, it takes business knowledge, puts, puts them into what we call data science. Have that, has that been where you, you've been spending all your time since we last talked to you? When we, when we last talked, I was just in the process of forming this new team called the Data Science Elite Team. And I don't know if we talked about that specifically last time because it was... I want to talk more about it. That's where I was going. Just, kind Go of ahead. just conceptual. Um, and, and this team is, it, it, you know, it, it's, not, it's not a team of salespeople. It's not a team of consultants. Um, the aim of the team is really to teach, work with clients to teach them our perspective on how you effectively execute and operationalize data science in the enterprise. Um, we are huge fans of Agile, uh, so Agile for data science and how you reduce that to practice. Um, we work in open source tools primarily, so Python, R, Scala. Um, uh, we do obviously, you know, IBM's in the business of making money, so we use those open source tools in our platforms. Um, and we do this around a real use case with the clients because the goal is to teach them how to derive real value using this method. Now, the team is made up of, and you kind of hit on this a little bit, you know, it's, it's an agile team. So that means there's multiple people, a data scientist, you know, executing a data science project is more than one person. It's a team of people. Um, in my experience, I've only known, you know, one or two people that can do all the things you need a data scientist to do by themselves. Um, and so really it's a team of, you know, data, data engineers, it's a team of machine learning experts, decision optimization experts, data visualization experts, and that's all those kind of, um, you know, skills that you talked about. And then there's, you know, what we call the, the subject matter expert or, or the, you know, we actually refer to it as a product owner who is the person with the domain expertise. Um, and, and so that's really, in my mind, what a, what a data science how you execute and implement data science in the enterprises through a team, an agile team approach like that. So I got to give these guys credit. I know the team that you speak of, and I do a lot of client visits. And it seems like every client visit I do, I follow somehow a data data elite team engagement that's already happened. It's like you've already rushed, you've cleared the field for me, and I arrive, and 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 then we're talking about uh, overall analytics. So 
you must be doing good work there. I've also, by the way, talked um, with with a couple of your your folks on your team, Abhijit Chatterjee, who's now went on. I think he's the chief analytics officer at Morgan Stanley. But John Thomas, by the way, they say they do all the work. They, uh, they just do all the work. My job is <laughs> my job is enablement and um and and a shield for all the stuff that falls from above. So they do do all the work. So how do these guys get engaged? And uh, I got to believe there's limited bandwidth over time. I don't know how you're doing it with all these clients. Um, how, how, if I'm a if I'm a client listening, how do I get this engagement? What do I get out of it? Yeah. So so the the way the engagements work is again, it's got to, there's really three things I ask from the clients, right? Number one, it's a real use case. I don't you know we don't really want to engage in something that's not going to add real value to the client. Um, and so if it's something that you're giving everyone else, it's not really what we're, what we're looking to do. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is it's not a consultancy exercise. It's a teach to fish exercise. So you need to have some level of skill in this space on the ground to sit with our team and work through the projects with us. Um, and then, then I ask that, you know, you'd be willing to, to act as a, as a reference for, for us. Uh, moving forward, whether, you know, I prefer, obviously, you get on stage or talk about us publicly, but, you know, I think also, you know, being willing to talk to another client is, is good enough in most instances. And so so that's really what, what we look for um, from the client side in terms of participation. Now, what, off, what also is involved in that is doing, uh, you know, kind of a design thinking discovery workshop to figure out what the right use case is. Once we identify a use case, which is usually any decision or use case worth doing is usually not one machine learning model or one data science project. It's usually multiple. Um, and so it's figuring out which part of that we're going to work on with you. Um, and then it's breaking it down into a series of sprints. Um, and, and the engagements today is, as we move forward are really three phases. So the first phase is, is three sprints. Um, it's no charge to the client, um, except for matching resources on the ground. Um, after the end of those three sprints, if, if we still want to move forward, there is a small charge uh, for the engagement, kind of a co-investment from the client. And that phase lasts another 12 weeks uh, with the same team, plus it's some additional resources. Um, and then the next phase would be to migrate into one of our, our IBM uh, garages, which is a service garage that's separate from my team. Um, and so the next phase, if you wanted to kind of accelerate, would be, would be a garage. So we kind of call it, we call it kickstart, which is that first initial free six weeks build, which is the, the co-investment, and then Accelerate, which is the IBM Garage. Could you repeat the last three again? It's uh, Kickstart, Build, yep. and Accelerate. And we have, uh, have a PDF, I have a PDF that you can attach to the blog post uh, that people can, can download and see all the details about it. So here's, the way, here's what I heard. Uh, you require use cases. Your intention is to teach, number, that's number one. Number two is to teach um, the, the client to fish. Uh, number three is in return, you have to act as a reference. In return, there's a free kickstart, um, but it, we do ask that you match experts on the ground. Uh, then it moves into a co-investment, uh, kind of a build phase, and then accelerate where, where it goes into like a kind of a garage setting where you, you take this to the limit. Is that correct? Yep. yep. So look, at, how, how do you, you know, like you said to, to start, um, IBM is in the business of, of making money. Where does that come into this, and and why is there, you know, why are you doing the investment yourself up front? Yeah, so you know, my my team, like I said, when I describe the team, they're they're not salespeople, um, right? They are are not consultants. Are we 
generally, you know, what we charge is not really a, a significant amount, even when we do charge. Um, and, and so, you know, from from IBM's perspective, um, you know, we are betting our future on our clients being able to successfully implement data science and AI in their enterprise. And so we see this as an investment in our clients' success, uh, which will ultimately lead to our success. Um, and, and so that's really the, the premise of the team. Now, when our team gets engaged, it is engaged by our sales force, right? So for, for anyone listening to get engaged, just reach out to your IBM salesperson. They can, can connect with us and we can get it going. And so they work in parallel with the client to, to see if they're interested in buying some of the offerings that we execute the projects in. Um, and so that's, that's, that's how it works. Um, and, and we actually do see, you know, in, in more than 75% of the cases when the team's engaged, clients buy something. Um, and in fact, typically when, when, when our team's engaged, they buy more than if you look at when, when our team's not engaged. Uh, so believe it or not, we have done some, some analytics on this. Uh, we tend to drive uh, more revenue for the company when our team's involved, even though we're not a sales team. So in return, this is really the gift that keeps on giving. Yep. Uh, this investment up front, you, you, you believe that, and, and do see clients, they, they, they look at it, they use the technology, and, and, and they become attached to it for good reason. Is there yeah. a lead time that, uh, like, if I called you today and said, hey, I need you on site at a certain client, you know, what kind of lead times are you guys running on? I know, I know you know, staffing's got to be limited with these kind of things. Yeah, so, so we are ramping up the team. But with that said, um, the, the lead time is, is usually about three months. And that's not because um, of the, the team availability. Really, that's really because anytime two companies engage, there's lawyers involved, right? Um, and so especially if we're using company data, there's privacy involved and uh, confidentiality and things like that. And so the bulk of those of that three-month lead time is really just working out the details of a, of a, of a we call it a, a DSPA, which is a, essentially a data science project agreement. Um, and, and so that's really the bulk of the lead time. Usually once that's done, the projects kick off almost immediately. Very good. So, hey, you know, I was going to ask you about your view on 2018, but I'm, 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 I've decided I'm going to switch it. Because you mentioned something I'm interested in. I told you, I said, I, I've got a question for you. I'm going to go ahead and ask it now. And that is, you talked about, you know, data science as a scam. And, and I know I know that blog and I know why that blog. And the one question I had, I just got to ask you this. I was reading some things on data science and I read something on the Financial Times. And it's, a, you know, in the article, this was earlier this year, actually. This was after we talked. It said that machine learning specialists topped the list of developers who were looking for a new job like 14%, over 14%. And then it went on to say data scientists were close, a close second at like 13%. And this was data that was collected by Stack Overflow. And as I was reading, and there were cross-references to other blogs, talked about companies hiring data scientists without infrastructure, without a strategy, and it's hell to get started. And we all know, and something in my pitches that I, that I give when I'm talking about data and analytics, that 80% of the time is spent on cleaning and managing that data is that i mean is that relate to the blog that you just described in terms of data science as a scam and is 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 that kind of culture or what i want to say that kind of environment what you're seeing right now or is 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 that not or is that untrue and a falsehood in the market well so you just covered the point of the blog so we're done now we can finish the 
Well, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just joking. Um, so from the perspective of, of talent, I think, um, I, I think all those things you, you mentioned are all related, right? It, you know, for, for, for companies that are trying to scale up a team, if they don't have anyone who's got a significant network in the space, they're going to really, really struggle to find people. Um, and, you know, especially if they don't have a strategy for, you know, how they're going to do this, if they don't have a very deliberate tactical methodology for how they're going to approach it. Um, and, and so that kind of leads into the, to the, the blog post, the data science is a scam blog post, um, in that, you know, oftentimes, and then I'm going to paraphrase a little bit when I talk with clients, I say, you know, we talk about how they set up a team and, and it boils down to the CEO or the CIO or someone went to a conference and they sit down next to their buddy and she says, hey, I have 100 data scientists. And so this guy goes back to his office and he turns to the person that works for him and says, go hire 101 data scientists, right? And so... Yeah, I, I, I see no it. I find it hard to believe, but I see it. But, but that really happens, right? People, I mean, yeah, it, I agree. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. That's not really, really what no, happens. No, I agree. That's essentially what happens, right? They're, they're, they don't, you know, and, it's, and, and if you think about, you know, if, if I were, you know, if I were in the oil and gas industry, if I was an executive in the oil and gas industry and I just willy-nilly drop oil rigs in the ground, I'd be fired, right? But people yeah. are still making, I mean, and granted, oil rig costs a billion dollars to drop. A data scientist costs, you know, fully loaded quarter million dollars to bring on board. Right. So there's a significant difference. But you bring on a team of, you know, 50 people. That's a lot of money. Right. Um, and, and so you should have a plan of how you're going to measure success. You should have a platform for them to work on. Um, you should know how you're going to implement and deploy these models. Right. Deploying them as a, you know, and, and I, and I, and I kind of say it's about applying the scientific method. And if you take people from academics or even Kaggle competitions, you know, they've never operationalized the data science in the enterprise. You know, they've never operationalized machine learning models or deep learning models in an enterprise. And you can't do that by deploying a CSV file, which is, you know, in a Kaggle competition, that's how you, or, or, or a data science training program, that's your end result is you give them a CSV file and they score it and they see if your predictions are right or your data pipeline is good. Um, yeah. In the enterprise, it needs to be integrated into your processes, into your applications, into visualizations for people to, to kind of make more informed decisions from. And so that requires you deploying them as an API. Um, in an enterprise, in a real world situation, when you deploy a machine learning model, when you deploy an AI, you are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy in that you are going to change the data over time and so your model will stop working, right? You're no longer gonna be predictive because you're changing the outcomes. And so you need to be able to monitor and retrain that model. And, and, and people who have come from academic or training programs don't have any experience with any of that. Um, and so you need a platform to help you manage all those things for you. You know, so I do, so from a, from a company perspective, I do this pitch and ultimately, you know, it builds up all the value of AI and then it says, you're not ready for AI. You got to make sure that you're clearly data driven first. And I guess there's an element of this is if you're not data driven, and by that I mean, you go from data-driven to insight-driven to, to a digital transformation. If you're not data-driven, you're probably not ready to bring on a data scientist because uh, you'll bring them on without that strategy, as you said. And what I'm feeling like is data science scientists right now are like are, are like are, are like pilots. <laughs> and, and let me explain. I got a couple of friends that are pilots, and they're never happy. 
And the reason is is because they're either they they're working for a small company and it's kind of cool you get to fly the the cool jets, but then they're delivering drinks, they're cleaning the plane, and they're like, hey, all I do is I want to fly. And then if they switch it and they say, oh, we're going to go commercial, then they get stuck on you know just as a pilot these things freaking fly themselves almost, and they're like, well, this is no fun. So I got yeah, they're never happy. So what I mean by that in the data scientist world, it feels like in a lot of these companies, they're becoming utility players. They're becoming the D data guy, the, D the DBA, the reporting guy. They're expected to know everything from R to Hive to Pig. Uh, and that's because they don't have this strategy, as you point out, because they're just going out there and grabbing a 100 data scientists and they're saying, get to work, you know, perform magic. At least that's the way I, I kind of see it. And that's what I'm reading in, in the press. And that's what you're alluding to. Yeah, and, and and I think that's that's a problem. And and I think yes, that the, these this talent segment is very fickle. Um, and, and frankly, that's because they can be because they're in high demand right now. Um, but you know, th there are ways, even in a large enterprise, to keep them very highly engaged. Um, and um, and actually, Jean-Francois Pujot and I published a, a, a piece in uh, VentureBeat a while ago. Um, about how you build a data science team and some of our, our perspectives on how do you not only build a team, but how do you maintain this tough talent segment? Um, and a lot of it is focused around uh, autonomy, right? Making sure they have an adequate level of autonomy, um, making sure they have access to continuous training. So, you know, this may seem counterproductive or counterintuitive, but, you know, I always and try to do the best I can to ensure that my team has about 20% of their time available for uh, self-directed work, right? So whatever they want to do, whether it's taking a class to learn more about a particular skill, working on a side project, things like that, um, that helps keep them more engaged. So you're not, you don't have to replace them, number one. Number two, they're learning new skills. So you're getting more value out of them because they're learning new skills and applying these skills to their job. Um, and, and, and again, and it reduces, it, not only does it increase engagement, but it reduces uh, retention issues. So it increases retention. Um, and so, you know, if you look at, at our team, and, and, our, and my team has a, tra a travel requirement of 75% travel, um, you know, we just did an engagement survey at IBM, and we have some of the highest engagement results in the company. Um, and that's on a, on a data science team, which is supposed to be the most fickle talent segment that exists. And you, and you, that's because all the stuff that you just mentioned, you're doing all that stuff internal to IBM, keeping them happy, keeping them excited, keeping them learning, and keeping them meaningful in terms of, I would say, autonomy, autonomy mastery, and purpose, and they have all those, obviously, if Absolutely. they're, if they're, yeah. so, hey, but, you're so that's phase one. Fantastic. So, in, it, what you described, so, I presume you get that all working. Uh, I don't know if it's phase one or not, but let's say, because that's a, that's a big job, but you get that working. Here's the second issue that I'm running into right now that I wanted to ask you about. And I don't know if it's phase two or you know, phase five, whatever. But I, I, when, I, when I come to a client that has a great data science paradigm, they've got a strategy, they've got data scientists, they're integrated with the business and they're solving business problems, I find that they're, and, and actually they said this to me, the last client I, I visited, I won't give the name, said, you know, we're doing pretty well but we're coming up with models, algorithms, and solutions that are in pockets. In other words, 
they're alluding to the fact that they want to spread this out and really be able to use the full corpus of data across the corporation and or break down some of the silos they have. And when I'm sitting across from them, I'm thinking, that's a that's your, your structural business problem. I don't know that I can solve that for you. Uh, that's a cultural change you need to make. Are you seeing the same thing or is there a different way to solve it that I, I just don't deal with it every day? Yeah, and so, so if you look at how successful companies have set up data science programs and data, and, and in fact, just chief data offices in, in general, and this is how IBM's approaches, um, you, you set up this hub and spoke model, right? So you have a centralized you know, chief data officer or someone serving that role. Um, I'm obviously biased in that I think you should have a chief data officer. Uh, and, and so you have that, and then, and then you do not centralize all these resources onto that team. You help the business, the various silos in the organization, set up teams of, of similar capability. Um, and the, the goal is, you know, and you have this enterprise strategy for, for data and, and analytics, right, that we talked about. With that strategy, you collaborate with these business unit teams to help drive these capabilities across the enterprise. And so if you look at IBM, right, I'm the chief data officer, as you said, for, for analytics, right? We have a global chief data officer, as you know, his name is Interpol Bandari. Um, and so Interpol has built a data strategy that I add on to. He's built a data science strategy where we've built together a data science strategy that we work off of. In fact, and we have a data platform that, you know, an enterprise data platform, and, and you know this, your team has built some, some great machine learning assets on that platform. Um, and, and that's how you break down the silos. And in fact, at IBM, it's even more complicated, as you may have inferred from that conversation, is that we have a hub and spoke and spoke in that Interpol is the hub. I'm a spoke, but I'm also a hub because I help enable people within our business unit that are in the lines of business within our business unit. And so that's a highly effective, tried and true way of doing this that has been used over and over again by companies that have been successful in the space. It's not an intractable hell, problem. Yeah, hell, it may be spoke, spoke, spoke by the time you get to the clients, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so good. All right, so so pause from that. Uh, I got some other questions for you. In January this year, we, we talked about what's next in the world of data and analytics. Uh, we were starting the year. Now we're ending the year, um, and we looked – uh, at the time, we looked for strategies for build, building and maintaining data science teams, as we just described. Now 2018 is in our rearview mirror. So the question to you is, is it where you thought it would be at the end of 2018? I mean, do you see data science the same way as you did to, to begin the year? Has it advanced the, the, in the manner that you thought it would? I mean, what are the pain points? I'm just trying to get your year in review. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm actually – um, pleasantly surprised at how um, how much adoption has driven in the space. How will, you know? My my concern really was that companies, including us internally, were going to be resistant to kind of these new ways of working that are necessary. The ability to really build this comprehensive strategies, um, the you know the desire to use um, centralized but you know open but governed platforms. Uh, to, to execute these projects. Um, I think there's been a really great uptake of these. And, and to be candid, right, we have this problem inside IBM where, you know, we have our own data science teams that want to use Jupyter Notebooks. They want to do it on their computers, their laptops. They don't want to be told what they can and can't use. And so even inside IBM, 
we have these battles of, okay, you really, really need to use Watson Studio. You really, really are not allowed to do these projects on your laptop. Um, and, and, and you need to, to only leverage the, the packages that are, you know, sanctioned by the enterprise. And if you need a package that's not sanctioned, you know, there's a process to go through to get it sanctioned. And, and we want to provide, you know, as, as leaders, as executives in, in large enterprises, we want to provide these teams with flexibilities, but we also have a responsibility not to allow certain bad things to happen within a company. And, well, see, that's what I was going to jump in here, Seth, is what you described, though. I mean, I, some people may be listening. They'd say, well, isn't that anti-agile? And when you start using words like only leverage and wait for the package for, you know, that kind of thing. No, well, it's not anti-agile. Um, so, you know, Agile is not anarchy, right? Agile, is, in the context of even a small company, has restrictions and, and, and guard. think of them as guardrails, right? They're not hard and fast. You can move the guardrails. You just need to, to have a reason to move the guardrails, right? And, and there's, there, if, if you don't have guardrails, you can get into a lot of trouble in terms of uh, legal troubles, right? So using packages that as a company you're not allowed to use to make money, right? So some open source tools have licenses that prohibit you from using them for certain activities. Uh, so you need to make sure that those, the packages that your team is using allow those. Some packages and open source tools have worms, bugs, uh, more other more dangerous things in them. Uh, uh, some uh, open source licenses basically Give you you give up all rights to anything that you know any any insights you get from them, right? So there's things like that that need to have some level of control, um, and you know and, and you know can I use R or Python or Julia or Scala? I don't really care, but the packages you use need to be reviewed. And make sure that we're not getting any, anyone in trouble, and that's what I mean by control and guardrails. And then in terms of you know you can't do it on your laptop. That's an IP risk for a company. Right. So if I'm a data scientist and I have all my stuff on my laptop, even if it's encrypted, if I leave the company and I choose not to return my laptop, I now still have all the data. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's just not, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't let you, you know, take a piece of machinery home and then download it to your own computer or download, do, do something where you replicate it at home. And when you leave the company, you get to keep it. Right. Makes sense. Good answer. And I got a, I got a, I got the new tweet out of that. Agile is not anarchy. I'll quote you on that. <laughs> I like it. So, so back to got it. And that, that again, that was a very good answer. So, it, are you where we you thought we would be at 2018, or is is the industry where you thought it would be at 2018? I, I think so. Let me start with IBM and 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 analytics in terms of how we've applied these. In fact, I just got done doing my my own year end evaluation. Uh, you know, and, and this was this is part of it. Um, I think um, you know we're we're actually pretty pretty on track with where I thought we would be in terms of the types of projects we've done and the value we've driven. Um, while I, I'm disappointed that I can't quantify the value because I haven't I don't have a metric internally yet to do that, or I haven't haven't I have a metric but we haven't implemented it yet. Um, and, and so I am disappointed about that. So IBM, I think we're 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 pretty good. Uh, I wouldn't call it exceptional. I wouldn't call it great, but I'd say we're pretty good right now in terms of our own transformation. Um, in terms of where the overall uh, uh, industry is in terms of data science um, and AI, I think there's been a lot of really good 
work that's come out both from IBM Research, uh, Stanford, MIT, those usual kind of suspects, um, around new methods, new techniques, um, adoption of new techniques like, uh, you know, our team does, you know, we've done, we do hundreds of these engagements a year. Our, team, our team's favorite tool is this, this model or this package called XGBoost. Um, and, and it does a lot of the, the heavy lifting for us in these projects in terms of, you know, feature selection, uh, you know, creating the right kinds of models and stuff like that. So, so XGBoost is, is a relatively new tool that's come out that's really valuable. Um, there's also a lot of um, a lot of work that's been done in, in recent times that's on the very near horizon about how do we automate some of these processes, um, and that's not to get rid of data scientists, but to make them more efficient and effective. Um, and those things will be rearing their their head and and you know being fully functional. I'd say in the next three to twelve months, um, and so that's really exciting. Uh, and then in terms of adoption from our clients, I, I think. We've actually seen um, a, a little bit more adoption than I was expecting. Um, so I'm, I'm generally an optimistic person, while I'm skeptical at the same time. I think you know I think our clients have have gone further than I was expecting to in the last year. So Seth, speaking of customers, are have you seen changes on how they're implementing, they're deploying, or items that they're trying to solve and or learn? In other words, is it is it still back to client churn models that they're trying to prevent? Is it, uh, well, I'll let you finish, finish the answer, but are you seeing, is it, is it transforming into different areas or different, different solutions that you didn't even envision when you started this? You do see the same types of use cases around customer churn, um, uh, you know, things like that. But we're also seeing um, more use cases around things like fraud detection, um, uh, call center optimization. Um, you know, we've seen use cases in, in turn, you know, with um, with electric companies on, uh, you know, we, we, we have a, a, a client we worked with, um, Red Electrica España in Spain, and we helped them build models that predict demand and then optimize utilization of renewable resources. Um, we, you know, we've done work with, uh, you know, some manufacturing clients on anomaly detection, um, so it, it's kind of the whole the whole spectrum of, of use cases, um, and uh, and it and it's it's been very very interesting, and and I think one of the the I don't want to say surprising, but one of the nice uh, benefits of having a team that works across multiple industries and is not in, built in a single industry, is that we bring learnings from one industry like uh, fraud detection for financial services. And we bring the same concepts to something like anomaly detection and manufacturing because they're both looking at rare events. Um, and when you build a machine learning model for rare events, the model can always get it right, right? It can be 99.9% predict, .9 predictive by just saying it's not fraud or the part is good. And so how you build a model to predict rare events is actually quite difficult. And so we brought learnings from, from one side into the other that helped us build a better model for anomaly detection and manufacturing. And so the fact that we're seeing all these use cases across broad industries is, is really exciting. What's the most commonly requested model, do you think? Call center optimization. What's the easiest to implement? The easiest to implement? Uh, probably, yeah, I mean, it, well, it depends on if you're talking about getting adoption too. If, you're, if you leave adoption out of it, um, I'd say customer churn is the easiest to implement. 
um, if, and, and the reason I say if you leave adoption out of it is, um, so if you're looking at customer churn, kind of like what we did internally with the uh, subscription renewals, that's relatively easy because we're not asking salespeople necessarily to change their behavior. We're asking a different group of people to go intervene, right? But if we're looking at customer churn and we're asking salespeople to change their behavior, that's a cultural change problem. And so that's a hard, that's a hard nut to crack in how do you drive that cultural change and it's a process. So that makes it, it's not, it's not, hard, it's not impossible. It's hard and it's a cultural change, so it's different. So I guess the answer is, is probably customer churn, except when you're putting it in the hands of people that need to change their day-to-day. -day. I would imagine one of the huge values of the data science team is the best practice that you guys have leveraged over time. In other words, if I call you today and they say, boy, I heard you on the podcast. I have got a call center problem and a use case that I'd like you to resolve. How easy it is to take an existing model and apply it to a customer. In other words, instead of starting off at step one, you're starting off at step eight because look, we've already created a model. This will, we'll have to tweak it a little bit, but it'll apply to your environment. How, how easy is it to, to do that? So, so we don't go quite that far, and, and here's the reason why. Um, one, one of the value props that IBM brings to the space um, is that you know, many, many other companies in the space, they come to you and they say, your data is your data, um, and we respect that, and we will never share your data with someone else. But their business model involves taking the insights, the models that they've built from your data, and reselling them. Um, that is absolutely not what we do. Um, you know, unless a client tells us, hey, you can share this, that is not our default. Um, and so when we go into clients, we have on our own built a set of, uh, of, of notebooks around building data pipelines, around doing different types of models uh, from our learning, you know, customer turn models, anomaly detection models, um, you know, sentiment analysis, things like that. And we bring those assets to the table. So we definitely help accelerate. But we don't ever start with a model unless it was trained on IBM data because that would be stealing from our customers. Ooh, good answer. I got it. So you've given me the most common request in models call center. The easiest to implement is client churn, but there are oftentimes you may struggle with adoption across the, across the, um, the business. What's the hardest to implement and why? I'm going to say cross-sell, upsell. Um, cross-sell, upsell. And again, that is a huge adoption issue because you're trying to get people to change their behavior and rely on, move away from just using their intuition to relying on a prediction to help guide their intuition. And so getting, getting those types of people to leverage an analytic tool to, drive their, to help drive their business is hard. I would see that. I mean, you, you, that, that would be the ultimate breaking down of silos in the enterprise business, crossing over um, IT with sales, with business, et cetera. Yeah. Or even I, in a I, I can see sales organization, you know, if a cross sell upsell says, Hey, you have the relationship with this person and they, you know, with this company and they would buy something from this portfolio that you don't get compensated on. Right. How do you drive yeah. a change of behavior to get someone to sell something they don't get paid for? Hey, I'm, I, I've taken enough time from you. I'm going to ask you one question. We're going into 2019. You know, what's going to change? What do you see in terms of new innovation around data science, around IoT, visualization, you know, anything therein and above? What's expected in 2019? What can we, what can we look out for? Uh, so in the space of, of data science, in the space of AI, I think the, the biggest innovation is going to be automation of 
uh, of things that we don't really want to do. Um, so, for instance, automation of data pipeline building, right? So that that data that that cleaning that you alerted alluded to and munging of data that upfront that takes a lot of time. Uh, so that's one aspect. We'll see some some automation there. I think feature engineering, which is the next logical, you know, the next step in the process from that data munging step. Uh, you're going to see a lot more automation around that. In fact, we see some coming out of, of, of IBM as well as some other companies in that, in that automation space. Um, and then on the back end, some of these things we just talked about, which is automation of detecting bias um, and automation of explainability of trust and transparency of models. So those are the two, the, the, not two, but the several big areas I think that we're going to see significant movement on this year in, in that space. In, in terms of, of data, I think um, I'm going to make a prediction, right? Uh, this is the year of blockchain. Um, I think in the last couple of years, blockchain was a hammer that was looking for a nail. Um, and so mm -hmm. if you talk to people in the blockchain industry, what you find is that the last year they spent their time going around telling people that's not really a blockchain use case. Um, and so they haven't really been applying their resources to get a lot of value out of building new opportunities for blockchain. They've been, the really valuable ones have been few and far between. I think those that are interested in the space finally get what a real blockchain use case is, right? It's not using a relational tool and putting on a blockchain because it's cool, right? It's, it's about uh, trust and transparency and sharing a certain amount of data with trust and transparency. Um, and, and I think we're going to see a lot of uptake of really impressive blockchain applications this year. All right, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> so, so the year um, of blockchain, 2019, the year of blockchain. I got, got it down. Good. Fantastic. That'll be good for my business. I like it. So, you know, we've already, when you were on the previous podcast, we got your LinkedIn, we got your Twitter, uh, but I know you're everywhere. Are you, do you have any meet the CDOs coming up or any ask me anything that you'd like to, to tout here that uh, folks should be aware of? Uh, I don't have anything scheduled other than uh, I'll, I'll be at IBM Think. Um, and, um, you know, if any of our, anyone that's going uh, wants to get some time with me, there's a, a process uh, where you just reach out to your salesperson and they schedule something uh, for, for a one-on-one -on -one session with me. Um, we have a IBM a CDO Summit uh, twice a year. Uh, the spring one is coming up uh, shortly after Think in San Francisco. I don't recall the, the date off the top of my head, but we can get that certainly a link to that for the blog post. Uh, for the for the podcast post, and there'll be another one in fall in in the Boston in the Northeast area, uh, and so those are held every year. Very good, dude. You are amazing, and I thank you for being here, and thank you for running along with us. I love chatting with you because it's such an easy conversation, and I can you'll take any of my silly questions, and and give me a great answer. So. I greatly appreciate you taking the time. We will have you on the, on again, and you'll beat Daniel Hernandez. Hopefully he's listening. But you're the best. I, I thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Alan. Very, I, like, I, like, I love the questions you ask, and, um, and, and thanks for having me on. And uh, I look forward to my three-timer jacket, uh, <laughs> Rolex, right? I get a three-time Rolex. Wow. Um, I, I and, <laughs> didn't know that was on the list. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. I, I guess my water, water in the room right? where I'm doing this from needs to be at exactly 72 degrees next time. <laughs>
Very good. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We'll get your stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, until next time, hey, uh, keep your data safe and, and keep learning. See you guys. Seth, you are the best. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you, Alice. It was fun. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Oh.